0: Today, there is more opportunity, more buyers for dental practices than there ever have been. And that's a really good thing if you own a dental practice. From Spa Damron Tenney, it's the Prosperous Doc Podcast. Real stories, real inspiration, real growth. A show for doctors who are ready to improve their overall wellness in every aspect of life. Now here's your host, Shane Tenney.
1: All right. Welcome back to the Prosperous Stock Podcast. My name is Shane Tenney. Glad to have you with us today. Those of you in dentistry are well aware of the tremendous change in the last decade around all things transition related. Terms like private equity and DSO and mergers and acquisitions used to be reserved for Wall Street transactions. And now they've opened up a whole new lexicon of wealth options for dentists at every stage of their career. My guest today is right in the middle of the whole trend. I'm here with Kevin Kumbas, president of Tusk Partners, a DSO and M&A advisor to thriving dental practices. Kevin is also the co-owner of a startup dental practice, He's managed a large DSO with over $100 of revenue, and his firm has participated in over $850 million worth of dental transactions. Today, he's going to share his expertise and perspective on how the dental industry is changing and what drives the best valuations for sellers. Kevin, thanks so much for being with me today.
0: Shane, it is a real pleasure to be here and I'll be a part of this conversation there's so much going on in the dental m&a market and it is ever evolving so i'm I'm happy to share with you what's going on in this window of time
1: yeah we've got definitely a a lot that has been going on even the last couple of years in the face of covid and pandemic and now interest rates and inflation and things like that so it's going to be i know a great conversation looking forward to unpacking it all Start, though, uh, just help those who are listening understand a little bit about yourself, your background and Tusk Partners. How did you get into this business? Where did you come from?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. It's it's a long and winding path that makes sense only when you look backward. Right, Shane? So it, I think it's important to note that my father's actually a pediatric dentist. So I was kind of raised in his practice and um, got exposure to dentistry early on actually tried to become a dentist, but the chemistry department told me, you need to take your D and get out of here. Uh, So so I focused more in the the commerce school and accounting and finance. And after graduating undergrad, spent about 10 years in finance and investment banking, both in New York City and down here in Charlotte. I was having a little bit of a, a crisis around my career because in investment banking, you're working with Fortune 100 companies and helping them issue debt to buy back stock. And you're creating accretive events for the shareholders, but you're not too close to the people whose lives you're impacting. So you're not really sure who you're working for, but the paychecks are really big and you work really late hours and you're learning a lot. But I was not satisfied with that type of work and was sharing this with my father. And he said, man, there are dental brokers out there that are helping dentists sell their life's work. Maybe you wanna get involved in that world reached out to a local dental broker here in Charlotte. He was foolish enough to say, why don't you come on board? And I spent four years living in that world. And it was so rewarding to help dentists to monetize their life's work. These these transactions, yes, they're financial. Yes, many times there's operational matters that need to be considered, such as post-sale employment, but they're very emotional as well. And that's the side of the work that I really like and, and that that I've really grown to enjoy. So broker dental practices for four years, we started selling practices to Heartland Dental Care. And that's when the light bulb came on for me. I saw how value was being created in scale, in private equity-backed DSOs. And it's no secret today how they make most of their money. And it's buy low and sell high through the arbitrage, right? We talked about multiples and even, I'm sure we'll get to all that stuff a little bit later, but the whole premise here is I'm going to buy your practice for four times your EBITDA. I'm going to sell my business for 12 times my EBITDA. I'm going to make eight turns on it. So, so anyway, bulb came on, got involved in the DSO space, worked in operation and some business development for affordable dentures. Again, foolish Kevin. Here I am thinking I've got all the information in the world. I want to go out and build my own group. Left the comfort of a cushy job and uh, struck out on the entrepreneurial journey built a dental practice from scratch. I don't recommend doing this. Hey, this is foolish. I'm not a dentist. I couldn't control revenue. Really dumb idea. Got it out of the ground. Ended up growing it to about $1.4 million over three years and sold it. I learned a lot of empathy for dentists, respect for my father. And I think the lessons were more valuable than the dollars I made. But what I really learned there was it's hard. It, business ownership and de- dental practice ownership is hard. But the reason I sold it was, Shane, I was hearing from other entrepreneurs about what they sold their practices to Heartland or to DCA or to MB2 for, and I knew what MB2 was going to trade for, and I knew what Heartland had just traded for. And what I believe is, first of all, we're all capitalists. I'm a capitalist, you're a capitalist, probably everybody listening here is capitalist, but DSOs don't want to pay a penny more than they have to to buy that practice, And I felt like there was too much value being left on the table for the dentists and unrepresented groups. Therefore, built Tusk seven years ago to help dentists and DSOs maximize the value of their practice by taking it through a marketed process. It's been a long long and winding tale to get here, but I really count myself as lucky to get to work with dentists because they're entrusting us to sell their life's work. It's been a, a heck of a lot of fun, and I feel like we do a lot of good. In the dental community.
1: Yeah. And so now just to reiterate, your company is Tusk Partners. You started seven years ago specifically to help dentists understand essentially the business of their business and how to best capitalize on that.
0: Yeah, that, that's exactly right. So at Tusk Partners, we work exclusively with dentists and practice owners that want to better understand The value of their practice if sold to a DSO or private equity group. What we don't do, Shane, is work with dentists that want to sell their practice to other dentists. There are 800 dental brokers out there nationwide that are very, very good at that, but that's not the game we play. So we work with the doctor to help them understand how value is created in their business, help window dress the business in preparation for exit, and ultimately represent them in a cell. We work exclusively for the seller each and every time we work nationwide across all specialties and have uh, closed about $850 million worth of transactions over these seven years. Let's start there. I know some folks listening
1: have good business brains, um, good capitalists, they've thought about this, they've talked to others, and some folks don't. And so my experience is it's always best to start and assume that people don't have a strong working knowledge. Can you start with kind of the legacy of the dentistry business from decades past, which is the provider who builds a reputation and community for 20, 30 years, and then realizes there's soreness in the neck, there's soreness in the shoulders, the fingers have arthritis, it's time to get out. And historically, the MO has been find some younger person that can come in and pick up the brand. Talk a little bit through that and then maybe pause right before, because I, I want to follow up with then just even unpacking what is a DSO and
0: where do they come from? Sure. So it's hard to believe it. Just 15 short years ago, there weren't that many options for dentists when it came to the sale of their business. They would say, so when we were brokering practice, the dentist would call, we'd say, let's take a look at your business. Let's run some numbers. And, and, and we'd put a value on that business. And the valuation almost always came in at somewhere between 75 to 85% of collections. and, And that is because that's the dollar amount that a bank would lend a dentist that wanted to buy a dental practice. It had nothing to do with supply and demand. It had nothing to do with traditional Wall Street metrics, nothing to do with cash flow. I look at it as an artificial ceiling on practice valuation that was driven exclusively by the dentist's available capital, like what would have been? So when you wanted to sell a dental practice, you would post a listing and hope and pray that a dentist would come by over the next year, two or three, and hopefully want to buy your practice. If you were in a rural area, that was really, really hard. If you were a specialist, it was even harder. And you heard regularly of endodontists and periodontists, at the end of their career, locking the door, throwing away the key, and going to enjoy their retirement and getting no value for their practice because there wasn't another doctor who wanted to buy it. So that that was the world 15 short years ago. Right. Yeah. And so in some ways, it worked.
1: It worked for a couple of sure. decades. But what then, clearly there were there were shortcomings, whether you're, as you point out, whether you're in a unique area, geographically, when you're whether you're in a unique area by specialty, there were challenges. And so along came somebody with a great idea, which gave birth to the next chapter, which was what?
0: Yeah. So let, let's call this DSO 1.0. How about that? So, yeah. so we'll, we'll go with DSO 1.0. We'll kind of put Heartland, the largest DSO in the nation, currently backed by KKR, one of the globe's largest private equity companies. When they came on the scene, their value proposition to the doctor was, was Dr. Jones, we'd like to buy your practice and pay you more than any dentist possibly can. That dentist is going to offer you 75% of collections, but we're going to offer you 100% of collections. Oh, by the way, we know you might not be ready to retire, so we'll encourage you to continue to work post-sale for three years, pay you a percentage of collections, will replace you clinically over time with a new associate, and it will give you a nice glide path into retirement. Doesn't that sound great? And dentists were like, this this does sound great. I love it. And what Heartland was really doing, if you start to kind of peek behind the curtain there, is they were buying practices for three times cash flow in the business. Yes, it equated to 100% of collections, but it was really three times the cash flow that that business created after the doctor had been paid their commission. And what Heartland also knew was that they're valued, their investment bankers were telling them, when we take you to market, we're gonna sell you at 10 times. So Heartland inside of their business knew, buy at three, sell at 10, make seven on every dollar of cash flow we get. This is a business I wanna be in. So that that's really where it started. So so Heartland starts it. So I'll, I'll stop there
1: yeah this is i i can almost remember i think the first time i heard this in the financial planning firm that we run from a dentist in i don't know maybe it was 2007 or 8 or 9 somewhere there and, and it was like they had this brochure look and it was amazing it was the genius of um i guess the creativity of a capitalistic and entrepreneurial system
0: it was a great solve for a big problem too. So I know when Heartland and and DSOs from the the DSO 1.0 world came out, the next thing you often heard dentists say is, oh, that's corporate dentistry, right? And Heartland Dental Care and any of the early business models, they were treated like guys that wore the black hats that rode into town and drank all the whiskey and took all the women. Like they were treated poorly. But what they were doing was actually that they were able to help dentists monetize their life's work more quickly, more efficiently, and and be ready buyers in most markets where sometimes dentists weren't going to sell their practices at all. The other thing is that they were solving or that these dentists that are coming out of dental school or residency need a place to work. And Shane, you work with a lot of dentists who I know have associates that come in their practice. And every time I've seen an associate come into a practice, the doctor loses money not and sometimes for two or more years so the associates were kind of scrambling for work doctors newly minted we doctors were scrambling for work and hartland's like we got a place for you to work so i think it gets overlooked the the two major problems that hartland was solving and these dso's were solving yeah. So uh, I think you you
1: led us up to the the doorstep of kind of what the, the last couple of years have looked like. What have been the changes that you've seen kind of with with DSO
0: 2.0? Sure. So, you know, the American economy is is a wonderful thing, right? A capitalistic economy, people is, is a great thing because when you see someone making money, others will flood in, right? So Heartland does so well when others take notice. Over the last 15 years, there have been 150 newly formed private equity-backed DSOs. Today, there are 150 of them. We at Tusk have represented clients that have connected with private equity groups and have built their own DSO. So we've helped facilitate many of those transactions as well. What's really cool is that they're all different. So there used to just be one, one model There are 150 models today, and they all vary across culture, operational efficiencies, geography, secret sauce, and maybe most importantly, if you're selling to them, the projected value of the equity inside of that business. I don't want to get too far in the weeds yet, but today there is more opportunity, more buyers for dental practices than there ever have been. And that's a really good thing if you own a dental practice, because you have more options than you've ever had. And even if you don't, you know, you kind of swore up and down, you never want to sell to a a DSO or a corporate dentistry outfit, I would encourage everyone to at least get the information about what their practice would be worth in an exit to a DSO compared to an exit to to a dentist, so they can make an informed decision. Yeah, talk a little bit about the You've worked for DSOs,
1: you've helped build them, form them, and you've certainly done transactions with them. I think where my mind is going is, talk a little bit about how a DSO, what is it really? If you have a dentist with a big vision or a thriving practice, or they've got two locations and they say, "Gavin, just heard you on the podcast. I came from a conference. I want to build my own DSO, or I've got a buddy I went
0: to dental school with that's over in another town. How do we do this? Yeah. So let's start with the legal definition, because I think that's really important there's a lot of misinformation in the market about what a DSO is. So legally, a DSO is a dental service organization. And all that means is that they have built a regulatory compliant structure in a state that allows non-dentists to enjoy cash flow from clinical operations. That's all it means. So legally, you have, have an entity that lives up top, There's a management services agreement between that entity and the practice. And that practice pays the management entity for services that it provides. And the management entity can be owned by non-dentists. So that's really all it is. If two dentists wanna get together and merge their practices, I would call that a group practice. And truthfully, they don't need a regulatory compliant DSO to do so because they have those three magic initials behind their name, they can do it, right? only need to build a legally compliant DSO in the event you want Shane Tenney or Kevin Cumbus, two non-dentists, to share in the economic benefit of the cash flows from clinical operations. So that that's really the definition of this. One other thing to note, though, Shane, you'll hear these terms, DSO, IDSO, DMO, OSO, they all mean the same thing. They're just marketing it differently. We're a support organization. We're an ortho support organization. We're an invisible DSO. They're all the same. So don't think that, just know it's all marketing.
1: Uh, Creativity and trademarks are worth so much, aren't they? (laughs) That's right. That's right. Excellent. So I've got to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to dive deeper into what a transaction looks like and what you're seeing kind of in the marketplace today. Sounds great. You understand your personal cash flow. You know the combination of your monthly income and monthly expenses. You ever think about how much money you made last year and wonder, where did it all go? Understanding where your money goes today is essential to creating an actionable plan to achieve your financial goals for tomorrow. Take control of your finances by downloading the free Personal Cash Flow Worksheet. The Prosperous Doc Podcast is underwritten by the financial planning firm of Spa Dameron Tenney, and you can download this free personal cash flow worksheet at sdtplanning.com and click on Financial Resources. Don't let another month of money confusion go by when you have access to free help. Again, the website is sdtplanning.com. Click on Financial Resources to download the free personal cash flow worksheet. All right, Kevin, we were talking before the break about uh what a DSO is and in some ways how it even differs from just a, a group practice. The DSO structure that you and Tusk partners work so closely with in representing practices that are transitioning or exiting out has created the opportunity that's all around us today. What's going on in the marketplace the last couple of years, maybe starting even with the the turn of this decade and and pre-COVID?
0: Oh, wow. Okay. so uh, what's been going on? So let's start by acknowledging that there's no good data out there, not from the ADA, not from the attorneys, not from the investment bankers, around how consolidated we are today from a um, dental practice perspective. Here's what I can guarantee you. The industry is more consolidated today than it ever has been. It's consolidating at a more rapid click than it ever has. Dentists are clubbing up and creating their own group practices and looking for capital to acquire additional locations. It's not just happening at the private equity level, it's happening at the regional level now. There is consolidation across specialties today that did not exist five years ago. Five years ago, oral surgeons, endodontists, periodontists, were really left out in the cold when it came to enjoying the value of their practice, like GPs and orthodontists have. Orthos have been involved in this for a long, long time. Smile Doctors was an early, uh, early builder of DSOs. So now you've got specialties, specialists in play. You've got 150 private equity-backed DSOs out there. You've got local doctors clubbing up and building groups. And all up until our our little footfall here by the Fed raising all the rates, we had really cheap capital available as well. So what does that build? A a, a huge demand for dental assets and never enough supply to meet that demand. And when that happens, you see an increase in prices. And we've seen that increase in prices year over year over year. And increase in prices and
1: valuations, despite the fact that it now costs Six or seven or eight percent to borrow money instead of two or three percent.
0: Yeah, I was pulling together some numbers for our quarterly meeting with our leadership team here, and I looked at our for our, for our clients average exit multiples for 2021, 2022, and 2023 year to date. Now, we've just closed close to a hundred million dollars of transactions this quarter alone, so it's a pretty big sample size. So what I saw was the average multiple has increased by at least a quarter of a point each and every year in the face of higher cost of capital, inflationary wages, and really, frankly, harder to find healthcare workers, right? Turnover inside, inside of these dental practices. How is that possible? How is it possible that even at the rising cost of, of, um, of, of money, the valuations can keep going up. And Shane, I'm gonna I'm gonna geek out just a little bit here, but it's really all about deal structure, right? Talk about deal structure. Okay, okay. So we're glad you brought it up. <laughs> so, okay, so I think that the, the dental brokerage community, the MA community has has done a, a disservice to everyone in focusing so much on cash flow or EBITDA and the multiple. And, and I've, I've written a couple articles about this. I said if if you'll let me structure the deal. I'll pay you 25 times your EBITDA because that's how important structure is. So, structure is the allocation of the enterprise value, typically broken into a couple of buckets. One is cash at close, that's important. Cash is king. Second is equity inside of the business that is buying you, typically called hold co equity. And bucket three is joint venture equity, and that is equity in the business that you are selling that allows you normally. Distributions of profits after some management fee. You will see some savvy DSOs also add earnouts and true ups and all sorts of things that is money that you could receive in the future if you hit hits it in certain hurdles. So, Shane, if you've got a million dollar business, I'll pay you $25 million for it. But the way I would structure it is I'm going to pay $100,000 of cash. I'm going to pay you a lot of that in an earnout, and I'll give you a little sliver of equity here and there. That's why the, the structure is so important. So how does that link to the higher cost of money? In these transactions, most of the cash at close is sourced from the lender. It comes in the form of a loan to the DSO, and the DSO then takes the money and pays cash to the seller. As interest rates have gone up and the cost of money has gone up, they've decided to shift the allocation of the purchase price away from cash. So we were seeing deals like 80% cash, 20% equity pre-COVID. As COVID came in, cost of money went up, uncertainty went up, lenders started to tighten up their desire to lend. Across the US economy, we saw 80-20 deals become 70-30 deals, become 65-35 deals. And there is now a DSO that I won't name, who's one of the most active acquirers in the nation, who is putting out offers at 51% cash, 49% equity. I cannot, we see those offers, I'm like, you should not do this deal. You're taking on too much risk in your acquirer. room. So that's why structure is so important It drives total lifetime value of the transaction.
1: And to be clear, I guess, to to help define the terms, when you talk about the valuation that someone's being offered or that they accept or, or they're moving into, the valuation four times, eight times, 10 times, whatever that is, that is kind of referring to the overall structure of cash and equity.
0: Correct. Always. Right. There are some bad actors out there, Shane, that are saying, let's just take a million dollar EBITDA. And just for simple math and base 10
1: stuff that we- Wait, can wait, you guys, out, pause for a second. If you're going to throw down acronyms like EBITDA, what okay. the heck is okay. that? You you Fair just enough. brought in the big Fair financial
0: voc- vocabulary there. So Fair uh, enough. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So let's do that one. EBITDA, it is an acronym for earnings before- interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. OK, let, let's let's kind of unpack the why. What, what it really is, is an is a proxy for operating free cash flow, irrespective of how much debt you have on your business and what that interest rate is, and irrespective of the assets inside of the business and how old they are. Do you have 30-year-old ADEC chairs, three-month-old ADEC chairs, two-year-old chairs from China? Even I don't care. And if you bought your business or built it, EBITDA doesn't care. Because when you buy a business, you get to amortize the goodwill. EBITDA only cares about how much cash flow you're able to produce from that asset. That's all EBITDA is. Right. Perfect.
1: So now that uh, now that our listener understands, when we say EBITDA, we're really talking about the cash flow a business generates. Now, take that back in your answer a minute ago about right. how that factors into valuation.
0: Great. So one other important footnote on EBITDA, because we see it calculated incorrectly so frequently. For those of you doing math at home and calculating your EBITDA, do not forget to compensate yourself. If you're a GP, compensate yourself at 30% of your collections and count that against your EBITDA, right? Most owners don't do pay themselves like associates. So it's EBITDA after normalized doctor compensation for the owners. Okay,
1: so all right, so let's say you got a million dollars of EBITDA. Right, which I want to just, uh, I want to footnote your point. To be clear, EBITDA is not collections. No, that's not the point you're
0: making. Yes, correct, it's not net income. Right. It's net income after normalized doctor compensation. Yes, yep, Okay. now. so million dollars of EBITDA, let's just say we're able to trade that at 10 times. That will be a very high multiple, but it's a base 10 number that we can whip around. So now we have $10 million. So if even was a million, the multiple was 10, the total enterprise value is 10 million dollars. Now, now we're gonna allocate it. So in a 70-30 deal, it would be 7 million to cash and 3 million of that to equity of some flavor.
1: What do you mean equity? Let's unpack this a little bit. I understand cash. It sounds to me like I'm selling my practice and somebody's giving me a check for $7 million, but I thought
0: I was gonna retire and you just said. Now there's equity? That's right. So first things first, in a DSO transaction, when you sell to a DSO, your likelihood to be able to walk away is extremely low, close to zero, especially if you're a clinician, because they don't have dentists to fill in. They're buying your business because of you, who you are, and the cash flow that you can create inside of that business. And the longer you're willing to work, more valuable that EBITDA string is. Right. So if you if you come to us and say, Kevin, I'm only willing to work two years, okay, that's less valuable than if you're willing to work five years. So you're gonna be working post. Right. So you got your seven million, you're like, okay, great. Now I've got equity. Help me understand that. The reason there's equity in these deals is, is really for two reasons. One, it really helps build alignment. So the doctor is now a shareholder inside of, let's say I'm the DSO and I'm buying you, Shane you're now a shareholder inside of my business. You've got $3 million of equity in it, and you're gonna be very interested in helping me grow, Refer your friends from dental school to me. And as our business grows, the value of that share price continues to grow as well. Because ultimately, although I'm I'm the CEO of this DSO, I don't really own it. It's owned by my private equity company that bought it three or four years ago. And, And soon enough, That private equity group is going to sell to a bigger private equity group, and we're going to have the opportunity to to monetize our equity. It's illiquid until they sell, but the minute they sell, I have the opportunity to monetize some. The returns on rolled equity vary from zero, meaning $1 in, $0 out, and the highest return we have heard of is nine times cash on cash return. So, th- this $3 million of equity that we're talking about can turn into 25, 30, and can turn into zero. So, who you partner with really, really matters because you will certainly be rolling equity into their business.
1: And, and I think that brings us almost to the, the current state of things now where dentists, orthodontists, specialists are receiving offers. They were just going about their business, and suddenly there's a door knock, an email, a phone call, figuratively speaking, saying, hey, we'd like to buy your practice and pay you five times or whatever the case is. And suddenly there's the feeling of, wow, money from nowhere. Yeah. What do you do then? If you've received this solicitation letter, it's so tempting to call them up and say, hey, what were you thinking? Is that the right approach? Or how do you know if you're getting an offer from one of the most credible or one of the most
0: competitive? Uh, Yes, Right. So if, if you're not living in this space every single day, you don't know. There's no way to know. It, it's it's changing and evolving and iterating too quickly. And you know, the great DSO three years ago that just sold to a, a new private equity group might not is is not the preferred DSO of us today because the returns have gone down, the leadership has changed, strategy has changed. So if you are, and everyone I'm sure is, if you if you've got a business worth its weight and salt, you have received an unsolicited offer. You've received that knock on the door. And they're spending a lot of money on airplane rides, red meat, and red wine to entertain you because they really want to buy your business before it is window dressed to sell. I mean, it'd be the equivalent of you sitting out at your, your yard on Saturday morning. And you're having your coffee and you're looking around and the, the grass is uncut and the beds have weeds in them and that shutter the, right, right by the doorbell is a little crooked and needs some paint and somebody comes up to you and says shane i'd love to buy your business today about buy your home today it is not ready to sell and the really good ones want to get you emotionally attached to the sale And it lets you know your your whole life is going to change if you do this deal. Let us bail you out, Doc. And many times the valuation is worth more than they ever thought they'd sell their business for because in their mind, as they've been talking to their financial planner, they've always pegged it at 80% of collections. That's what I'm going to sell it for. And somebody offers them 150% of collections, and it's where do I sign? If anyone gets that phone call, Do not show them your financials. Do not talk with them because there are things you can say that can materially impact the value that they apply in your business. It's tempting to want to have the conversation. I can guarantee you when folks have come to us with an unsolicited offer in hand, we increase the value by 40% or more each and every time. And many times they don't go back to the 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 one that got them interested is not the the DSO that they decide to choose to partner with. Yeah,
1: and so that's where working with a firm like Tusk Partners, uh, which of course isn't the only one in the country, but it's the one that uh, the the one that we get to talk about and highlight. You all have the experience. That's where, to your point, the dentist's expertise is in is as a clinician, not a business person, a negotiator, that sort of thing that is the type of work that you all do you yeah, have it, relationships you have awareness of more than just the the approaching DSO you know who else is out there and what types of deal structures and multiples and things might uh, help them best capitalize on their practice
0: yeah this is this is all we do every day Shane I mean it, it is it is where we we've decided to make our impact. what's funny is when we've onboarded a client, and we've got five bidders coming in. We'll tell our clients, number one, you're always going to tell the truth when asked a question, but there are certain things, certain buyers like to hear that will perk their, that when they hear hear it, they will perk their ears up and they'll say, this is the right partner for me. How do I make sure I win this deal? And the way you share that information with an MB2 is different than the way you'd share that information with a Heartland. It's different than the way you share that information with Aspen or affordable dentures or pick your favorite DSO. And to be able to help the doctors do that the right way and, and really present their business as irresistible, then educate them on the equity side and say, although I know you love this business, I, I wouldn't put my enemy's money in their equity. So let's use them as a stalking horse to drive up the multiple so we can go back to the rest of the pool of buyers and say, you got to get to this level. I mean, this it's so fun to negotiate all these deals. And then help steer our client to make an informed decision about partnership. That The best deals that we work on are when the doctors have worked with a firm like yours, know that they have achieved financial independence, and, or, and know that this deal, in the deal, they don't have to, like, squeeze every last ounce of juice out and just take the top offer because they have to. The best deals are the ones who, who work with their planner, understand financial independence. If there's a gap, they know what that dollar amount is. And once we've exceeded that gap, they have the luxury of choosing the right partner. And every year, a good size handful of our clients do not take the top offer. And that makes me feel so good because they're choosing the right partner.
1: Yeah. And talk about, I think you, you've brought the conversation to a place that is is so important to you and you have seen the impact of, and that is in some ways, the quality of life. Talk about Other than the financial impacts of the transaction or the dollars and cents specifically, talk about the ramifications and and kind of what what people should expect or beware of in terms of kind of what that next chapter looks like, because I want to pick up on a key point you brought up earlier, and that is that in selling to a DSO, it is not a, a passing of the baton and an exit you are getting a higher multiple in exchange for your participation in the practice over the next couple of years. So quality of life is, is an important part of the, the consideration.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's important to, to remind your listeners that every DSO is different and life inside of a DSO number one is gonna be vastly different than life inside of DSO number two. Let me put a finer point on that. If we ask our clients, what are you looking for in a partner? And sometimes the answer goes like this. I'm tired of hiring people and firing people. I'm tired of processing payments. I'm tired of dealing with the insurance companies and the Patterson rep and the Shine rep and getting bombarded to buy a cone beam. And all I really want to do is come in here at 801, see my patients and leave at 459 and turn my brain off and get focused on the kids and the golf game and the beach house. There is a DSO that can provide you that. Others say, I really like what I'm building. I want a partner who's going to help me help see my vision. I have three locations today. I love my brand. I want to extend it to six more locations. And I've got marketing lit and I've got operations lit, but I want their capital and I want their resources to help me grow through through this partnership. But I don't want them to tell me what to do. There's a DSO for you if that's the journey that you want as well. Where we see doctors. Unhappy post close are the ones that didn't do the work up front with their financial planner and they thought they knew what their number was. Maybe in some book, maybe some podcast, they were told you need $10 million after debt, taxes, and fees in your nest egg and you'll be good. Well, that person didn't look at their monthly expenses or didn't plan on the trip to Africa or the new car or the divorce or whatever life happens. And they sold their business at top dollar just to get to the finish line of financial independence. They didn't understand what they needed post-sale, and they're working in their practice to afford their lifestyle longer than they ever wanted to. Because when you're working inside of a business that you built, it's got to be a little bit of a surreal experience. So those are the unhappy stories we hear of folks that just didn't do the work up front to ensure that this was the right path for them.
1: Yeah, I think such such an important point because there's far more at play here than just the dollar signs. Kevin, I guess to maybe try to land our, our, our conversation here, is somebody who's listening to this and thinking, number one, wow, this is a great conversation is what I hope they're thinking. And Kevin is really um, uh, the type of person that would be helpful what are some of the key considerations for someone um, and maybe I'll give you two personas, either someone is thinking, yeah, I was thinking of retiring in the next year or two, something like that in the near term. Anyway, maybe I've gotten an offer or someone who thinks, oh, well, this is interesting. I hadn't thought about it before. I thought I was going to have to work till 65. I'm only 48, but maybe I ought to get serious about my business. And, and I use your phrase, window dress it so that in the next three, four or five years, we can go to market.
0: Yep. So if this conversation has piqued your interest, first thing I'd recommend you do is go to our website. We are regularly writing content about this all the time. I think we're pushing blogs out every week these days and have been doing so for seven years. So the website is? Tusk-Partners.com. So that that's the first great resource. After doing some reading, or if you just want to pick up the phone and give us a call, you can. But what we'd love to do is help you understand more deeply what the opportunity is and what buyers are looking for. And to Shane's point, what life is like on the other side. One of the foundational principles of this business, Shane, is to help educate the dental community about the options. We love to do that. We're happy to do that for the doctor who is two to five years away. Uh, need to act sooner rather than later, because in order to maximize value, you want to be able to commit to a three to five-year post-sale employment agreement. For the younger doctor, uh, 45 years old, that thinks they've got 10 years left, uh, talk to your advisor and say, hey, I I just want to understand financial independence. I want to understand how my assets are working for me. and I want to understand what the gap is to get me there. Because I think we've done a lot of work for dentists under 40. We just sold a business for $16 million for an under 40 dentist who's financially independent as long as he doesn't change his spending habits. And he's working post-sale for two years. He's going to change states and go do it again. So I guess there's no cookie cutter answer depending on where you are in your business. It's linked to personal assets under management, value of your practice, and then marrying those two to understand what your options are. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Kevin, uh, I know I speak
1: for everyone who is listening to this when I say thanks so much for your expertise, your passion, um, the energy you bring to uh, the dental space and improving the lives of those who um, have given so much to their communities. Um, Thanks for being with us today. It's been a treat, Shane. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And thank you for listening to the Prosperous Doc Podcast. As I often close uh, with Please uh, take a minute, give us a review on Google Play, iTunes, wherever you download the podcast. If you have any suggestions for guests or topics that would be helpful or stories that you found captivating by those who wear white coats, email me directly at shane at whitecoatwell.com. Thanks, and we'll see you back here next time.
0: This episode of the Prosperous Doc Podcast is over, but you're not alone on your journey. Spa Damerantini has been helping physicians and dentists prosper through financial planning for over 60 years. To connect with us, visit sdtplanning.com today and take your financial wellness to new levels. Join us on the next episode of the Prosperous Doc Podcast.